Jesus. Let's look at some of these passages as Jesus calls his disciples to follow him. In Mark chapter 1, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Mark chapter 2, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd followed him, came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. Mark chapter 3, Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed 12 that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Then in Mark chapter 8, when, uh, then he called the crowd to him alongside the disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone exchange for their soul? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grab a seat, friends. Just remarkable passages as Jesus kind of bowls on up to people and it's just like, follow me. Uh, we don't know the kind of wider context of these particular moments, um, but you'd imagine that these, uh, these guys had seen Jesus in action, had heard him speak, uh, and so when he says to them, come and follow me, there was something about that invitation that was unbelievably good news for them. Like just, this is unreal. I can't believe this guy's asking me to follow him. N.T. Wright uh, says there's something about the astonishing magnetism of his presence, of Jesus' presence and personality that was such that they were like, man, we've got to follow this guy. I don't know if you've had anyone in your life like that, you know, where it's like cult leaders get there, obviously. <laughs> it's like, man, people do crazy stuff in human history because of some weird cult leaders. Um, but I was just thinking, I was reflecting on my life, like there have been people, Christian leaders in my life, where it's like if they said, hey, come on, move to the UK and follow me, mate, I would have sold it all and gone there in a heartbeat. In terms of like, again, the magnetism of their personality and, and, the, and the anointing on their lives, and it's just like, I want to be around this. And so these disciples... Uh, these, these, these ordinary Muppets, these fishermen, <laughs> get called to be the disciples of Jesus and they follow him. So as we start this year, we're, we're exploring what does that mean for you as a disciple of Jesus? What does this mean for us here at Bay Vineyard? How can we make discipleship central to our lives? And hopefully you're noticing the pattern here and we're banging this drum a lot. Jesus didn't say, come and believe in me and you'll go to heaven when you die. He said, come and follow me. Come and be my disciple. So as the church begins, and we continue this great story of the church, uh, John Tyson notes that as the church begins, he says, I love this, the great apostolic vision and mission of the New Testament is the formation of Christ in the hearts and lives of his people. That's a good line. The great apostolic vision and mission is the formation of Christ in the hearts and lives of God's people. Uh, Here's just some examples of how saturated the Scriptures are uh, in terms of this, Ramon. Uh, There it is. Uh, I'm not going to go through these, but like 
even during the worship, just more scriptures are popping into my head around just how central it is to the vision of the New Testament that Christ would be formed in us, that we would be indeed his disciples. One of the ones not mentioned there, which again popped into my head, is in Colossians chapter 1. It says, you know, Jesus is the one we proclaim, admonishing, uh, good word, a good word. We don't use that enough in the English language, admonishing. It's like giving a bit of a rack up. It'd be a Kiwi way of saying it. Like kicking up the butt. Come on, admonishing. And teaching, a little more gentle, everyone with all wisdom. Why? So that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And so what is, any leader of the church imitates Paul now, again, in the apostolic tradition, where Paul says, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So like Paul's like pouring his life into this. Now some of you are like, oh thank goodness that's just the pastor's job. I'm sorry, about to admonish you. Last time I checked, Jesus said to you, go into the world and make disciples. Right? So all of us are called to strenuously contend, not only that Christ be formed in us, but we'll see Christ formed in other people around us. But here's the interesting thing. So we've got to wrestle with this question of like, what does it mean to be, a disciple of Jesus, right? I mean, that's the big conversation we're having, and we have this at the start of every year. Uh, and, and what's key is what comes into your imagination when you hear that word disciple. Because, like, well, I don't know how many people are going, a couple hundred people, whatever. And it's like, what comes into your mind on certain words could be different, really different, depending on the church tradition we've grown up in and all that sort of thing. Because English words, like, they change. You know, I was doing some research as part of the sermon prep. It's like, you know the word nice? Like, you know, Ryan's a nice guy. I mean, we can agree on that. Nice guy. That actually, that word is derived from the Latin word nicius, which means ignorant. And so, originally, the word nice was actually, if you said that to someone, it was actually saying you're an, an ignorant, foolish, and stupid person. That word has changed its meaning, friends. Can we agree? So I'm not saying that about Ryan. That didn't come into your imagination, right? When I said, Ryan's nice. You were thinking, this is a a sharp person, agreeable and pleasant. It's a nice person. So these words change their meaning over time. So the question has to be, when Jesus says, come and be my disciple, what are the original hearers understand that word to mean back in the day. Surely that has to inform our understanding of the word disciple. I mean, you know, <laughs> right, okay. So, so what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Well, the word is, uh, is, is Talmudin. Uh, can also mean follower, can also, but which is not like an Instagram follower. It's like actually following, not just, you know, whatever. Um, it can also mean the word student, but very different from the uni idea. Again, all these words have so many meanings to us. Um, so the best English word uh, is probably the word apprentice, like a, a plumber's apprentice, a builder's apprentice. Uh, the, that's the most, so the idea that you're learning skills from a, a person who has further developed those skills can help you. I, um, there's been one period of my life where I have not been a pastor, and that was for three months. Um, and I was 25, and I had no money, and so I had to move back to mum and dad's. Awesome. Like, you know, like real single as as well. So, you know, life was really going well for me. I was living my best life as a single 25-year-old 
in my brother's bed, which had a warrior's duvet. So just the humiliation and just the shame, just layers and layers of it. And so just to earn some money, I worked uh, building, um, uh, helping build mum and dad's first ever home and only home uh, under this lovely builder called Neil. So I was just a labourer. And at the beginning of that journey, I was a Muppet. I was completely useless on the tools. Three months later, I was pretty confident because he was very good at helping me as, uh, as a labourer, as an um, you know, unofficial apprentice, to learn the skills that helped him uh, out a lot because as I got better at my skills, it helped the whole process. This is, this is the best word we've got in English, to apprentice our lives under Jesus. And so when... Uh, the disciples heard this invitation to follow him and to be a disciple of Jesus, this is what immediately would have come to mind for them. Because they grew up in a culture steeped with rabbis and with disciples. And, uh, and this is, we talked about this last year, we've talked about this a whole lot, but um, there were three different kind of journeys you would go through uh, before you could become a disciple of a rabbi. Uh, the first uh, and most basic level was the um, Beth Sefer, the house of the book. So Jewish uh, boys would go along and it was just like a basic education. But as part of that basic education, um, they would memorize most, if not all, of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible by the age of 12. That's like, Charlotte's going to watch this later because she always watches our services later. <laughs> Just saying, Charlotte, it's, it's like this is kind of there. Uh, so like maybe the kids could learn and like learn, memorize uh, by age 12 the first five books of the Bible. How's your discipleship going? How's everyone doing on that? A little wobbly. So that's like, that's, that's like all the Jewish, and I'm sorry it's patriarchal and all the, it's like it's gender, but the boys, all the boys had to do that by age 12. And then most of them would then go on to apprentice to their family business, but the very best of the best, the cream of the crop, would then go on to the Bet Talmud or the Beth Madras. This is the house of learning where you'd memorize most, if not all, of the Old Testament. And the dream after that, again, for only the best of the best of the best of the best, is that the elite, like that they would go on to be Talmudin. A rabbi would look you in the eye, and the dream in every one of our hearts would have been, oh, I wish the rabbi would look at mine and say, come follow me. And you'll just be like, oh, I've made it. These aren't real, you know. And then if you were to be a Talmudin of a rabbi, your life was orientated around three goals. And again, this was all in the imagination of the original hearers of Jesus' words, come and be my disciple. You know what these three goals are going to be because I bang this drum every flippin' sermon. I hope this is getting into your bones. There's a reason we need to, uh, there's no formation without repetition. So we're going to keep saying this stuff so it gets into your imagination. So you had three goals. The first was to be with your rabbi. And you'll notice in uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 12, Sorry, 3 verse 14. They, he appointed the 12. What is it? That they may be with him. So uh, you were just, your life was like, I'm just, I'm with this person. If Ryan was my rabbi and called me to follow him, like, I'm hanging around like a bad smell. Like, I'm just all over, Ryan, not in a literal sense, but it's like, but like, when Ryan wakes up, I'm there, you know? And it's like, Ryan starts going to pack and save, I'm just following him. You know, it's like, after we go to pack and save then, mate. And like, there was this uh, beautiful blessing back in the day, and this is the kind of time where it was like, may, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. 
It's a sense of you just like you're following so closely as he walks down those dusty roads, you'll just get a bit dusty. Um, so you'll do life with this person. And the second thing is to become like your rabbi. Uh, Jesus says in Mark 1.17, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, I grew up, again, Charlotte will tidy this up for our kids, which is great, but I grew up in a time where it was like, oh, cool. Um, instead of fishing for fish, you get to fish for men. How cool. You know, reel them in. <laughs> uh, but this was actually an idiom back in the day, uh, and it was a very well-known idiom for a great teacher. Uh, like, uh, uh, the rock star rabbis were so, like, they would captivate you, um, and they would they'd be called like fishers of men because they would capture your heart and your mind and your imagination in their teaching. So Jesus is saying, like, he's, he's already captured them because they're like, mate, we're in. He's saying, I want you to do the same, to so capture people's imaginations about what the kingdom is all about. And then lastly, to do what he did. Again, in Mark 3, he sent them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. This is what Jesus had been doing, teaching and driving out demons. The point of apprenticeship uh, is that you would learn to do the same, the the, the way of Jesus, to to do what he did. Now, um, that was what it meant to be a disciple. Now, But the the trippy thing which we can miss in these passages, particularly in Mark chapter 8, is this. He says, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Now, we get all hung up on the deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That's the challenging bit in the Western context, right? But for the original hearers of that moment, the thing that's buzzing them out is the whoever line. Whoever wants to be my disciple. All the Muppets are welcome to be a, like, you, you, you didn't even graduate past the first little school where you stumbled through memorizing the Torah. You're in still. Hallelujah. You get to be part of the elite squad that's joining Jesus as rabbis, uh, joining Jesus as, as, as your rabbi and his disciples. Unreal. Whoever. This is such good news. Who's feeling like a bit of a Muppet this morning? Who's feeling like they don't know too much stuff? They're a bit of, you know, and Jesus is like, whoever, come on, follow me. Totally, you can follow him. Yeah, it's going to cost you everything, but it's the best life you could ever live. On the other side of the cost is resurrection life. Anyway, so you're invited to build your life around these three goals. Following Jesus is a terrible hobby. It's the worst when it's just a hobby or some little thing. It's when it's everything, that's where the life is. That's where the life is. I've watched so many people try and make Jesus a hobby or trying to be associated with church, and we're going to make it uncomfortable <laughs> for Jesus to be a hobby in Bay Vineyard Church, simply because the tra- we just want to speed up the trajectory. Either you go all in or you're going to get distant, doesn't matter. In this culture, the stakes are too high. We've got to be serious about our commitment to Jesus. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And Ryan, Ryan didn't know I was speaking on, on this stuff, so he did very well prophetically to, to absolutely nail it um, in terms of just that sermon corridor around like repentance, where it's like Nicodemus comes to him, so that he's part of the ruling, he's a smart guy, he is a rabbi, and he's the ruling rabbis of the Jewish culture. He comes to Jesus in the night, and he's like, man, like, how can I see the kingdom of God effectively is what he's saying in John chapter 3. And, and Jesus says to him, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, <laughs> born again is a fascinating thing where it's like, we've, again, we've made that an altar call moment, right? But what is to be born again is to learn how to live a whole new life. 
It's a whole new way of living. What's repentance? I'm turning away from things that don't bring life and I'm orientating my life around his way and choosing to walk that path that truly does lead to life. That's where we're constantly in need of repentance, of realignment to the way of Jesus. And this is why, uh, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the, the word Christian anymore, mainly because the Bible isn't. The Bible, the word Christians only used three times in the New Testament, and every single time it's in a negative light. Uh, but the word disciple is used 268 times. It's time we ditched Christianity and became disciples of Jesus. Well, that's a big word, tweet that one. Utter and deep. So, so okay, so you've got Jesus calling his disciples. You've got the early church and the, and the epistles just making the, like, the vision of their life. Is that the vision of your life, to be formed in the way of Jesus? Is that the holy ambition of your life, church? This is the vision of the New Testament. And so then as, as, as the church unfolds in the early um, years of the church, um, they're wrestling with, like, how do we continue this? How do, we, how do we be a witness in this culture that's swimming with other religions and ideologies and idols? Now, actually, a very similar world today, where it's like there isn't just, there's all sorts of idolatry and ideologies and all sorts of, so what, how, do we, how do we live as witnesses to the rule and reign of Jesus at that time? And, uh, and they, they were like, the, the, I came to the conclusion that the only way is by devoted discipleship to Jesus that results in us living radically different lives. That's how we witness, with our radically different lives. There was a common saying amongst North African Christians in the early 200s that says, we do not preach great things, we live them. What a line. Someone tattoo that somewhere, man. It's like, we do not preach great things, we live them. And so the main difference in the early church, early stages of the church was this witness of their radically different lives. So that the, the and so the church, like the church got to this point, it's like we cannot have people calling themselves Christians who do not live like followers of Jesus, who don't live as disciples, and are very firm on it. Um, Diognetus wrote this early letter about, it's a kind of apologetics, it's beautiful, and he said this, we share our table with all, but we do not share our bed with all. In other words, the pagans, the people that don't follow Jesus, are promiscuous with their bodies but stingy with their money. Us Christians are very stingy with our body but very promiscuous with our money. So good. And so um, you think we're hard out in terms of discipleship at Bay Vineyard? Hold on. Here's what happened again in the 200s. So there was, uh, Alan Crider unpacks this in a brilliant book called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. What a title. Uh, where, he, uh, where there was this document uh, called The Apostolic Tradition. Um, and in this it unpacks like their discipleship model in this particular stage of church history. Uh, and there were four stages uh, to this uh, kind of process of discipleship. Welcome, instruction, preparation, initiation. So let's, let's work out what this means. Okay, so Kerwin. Hello, Kerwin. Great to have you here, mate. Kerwin got baptised at the end of last year. Stoked there's good mates with Dan, who runs a roofing company. Not here, but I'm stoked that I can humiliate him in my sermon. Anyway, uh, so, so this is what would happen two, in the year 200 or so. So Kerwin uh, is uh, kind of interested in this whole community. And what was this community called? The Way. That was what the church was called, the way. Interesting. Stop and think about that. 
The way of what? Well, the way of Jesus. These concubines, like, they're, they're, they're known as the way because they, they're just doing all the Jesus stuff. Right. So, so Kerwin is interested in this because his mate Dan is living a life that's filled with peace and love and joy and, and, and even love for enemy. And it's just so radically different to what is going on in culture. And so, uh, you know, Kerwin, who runs his little fishmonger business next to, you know, Dan, who's running the roofing company, which he actually does, uh, you know, they're like, like this Kerwin's asking him questions and Dan's banging on about Jesus all the time, which again is pretty accurate. Uh, to, but, so, but then Dan gets to this point where he's like, I think Kerwin's sufficiently keen and genuinely, genuinely interested in this and is tired of his old life. Dan would have a chat to the teachers in the way, in the, of the, the, the teachers of the community, and Dan would kind of be like a sponsor for Kerwin, saying, this guy's legitimately interested. We've got to take him seriously. And so then the, the teachers of the church would, would, uh, would really drill Dan about, their non-Christian, about his non-Christian mate, Kerwin, and they were wanting to know, like, is Kerwin teachable? Is, is Kerwin willing to change his lifestyle? change his behavior. And to, to bring evidence of that, there would have to be some sort of visible sign that Kerwin already had changed something of his lifestyle as he'd been engaging with Dan, okay? And then convinced that Kerwin is actually keen, teachable, and already changing his lifestyle due to the deep and meaningfuls with Dan, uh, then, then Kerwin would then be admitted to the second stage of instruction. Not a Christian yet. He hasn't come out and prayed any sinner's prayer or anything like this, right? But he's just gonna, all right, you get, all right, mate. Right, you're just, welcome to the instruction stage. And they'll call this catechesis. And the input on this stage was less about doctrine and more on becoming like Christ. This is all in this document for the apostolic tradition. It was all about becoming like Christ. Learn about Jesus, learn about the practices of the church and worship and in the world around them. Here's how we live differently. Here's why we live differently. Here's the fruit of living the way of Jesus. And then after a while, Kerwin would face what they would call the second scrutiny. Uh, and, but, but Kerwin doesn't get to answer. Like the teachers come along and they quiz Dan, his mate. That's been yarning, the roofer dude. that has been yarning about him. And they quit, so, so, that, so that Kerwin couldn't fudge any answers here, Dan has to answer probing questions. Here's what Kreider says about this examination. The leaders did not ask about the candidates' orthodoxy, about their mastery of doctrine, or about their memorization of biblical passages. That was part of the instruction. But they asked about the piety of their prayer life. Are they praying? They didn't ask about the candidates' opinions and attitudes. They, however, they wanted to know how the candidate treated poor people. Actions said it all. So the, the teachers, the leaders of the church community are quizzing Dan does Kerwin, is he praying? How does he treat the poor people? How's it going? The scrutiny. <laughs> now, now, obviously, memorization of Scripture and doctrine were actually part of that instructional stage. But here's the thing. You can know this stuff without it changing your life. We swim in a world, a Christian world, with filled with information. Has it changed our lives? And so... Like if Kerwin was actually not, uh, you know, not a fishmonger, but he was a gladiator or he uh, was involved in making idols, it would be like, dude, you've got to change your job if you're serious about Jesus. This is before you're admitted to the, whole, to the, to the church family. That's serious, hardcore stuff. So, well done, Kerwin. You passed the second assessment, the scrutiny. You're doing really well, bro. Proud of you. Awesome stuff. So now you get to go be part of the preparation stage in which you would hear the gospel. And this phase uh, really is a special immersion in the teachings of Jesus. 
And then during this phase, you'll go through the third scrutiny. You're like, shit, he goes, man, this better be worth it. Uh, and, and this is when, you know, Kerwin and Dan, a couple of us would go, would go to the bishop. And, uh, and, and here, in this moment, Kerwin just would, would, would utter his, dev- his devotion to Jesus. I'm in. I'm so in. He would renounce sin and evil, turn to Christ completely. Normally a deliverance session was part of that, and the bishops were good at that. Interesting, eh? Uh, and now it's time. All right, Kerwin, you can be baptized. You can enter the community of faith. You can take communion. Uh, hide and my welcome to the church. Fairly strong discipleship pathway, uh, one could argue. Um, listen to this. That discipleship pathway saw the world get turned upside down in the first five centuries of the church, where Christianity moved from, from some fringe little sect over here to taking over and undermining and overthrowing eventually, subversively, the Roman Empire. Massive. Massive. Uh, Unbelievable. Now, forget about how intense that is, because some of you guys are like, hopefully appreciating Bay Vineyard and how gentle we've been, how we're trying to guide us on a journey here, because we may have strayed a little bit from the centrality of discipleship to all this. And and, and don't worry about when baptism should happen. Most people would argue it's actually fine for it to to be an an entry um, uh, sacrament where you get baptized into the thing. They'd stick it at the end there, whatever, fine. But the point was, what does it look like for us to build a culture? And here, that's stronger than the culture out there in terms of forming the habits and practices and lifestyle of our lives. How can we be radically committed to discipleship to Jesus? And so the vision of our church is to be a disciple of Jesus and to make disciples of Jesus. That's what we're all about, to be with him and to become like him and to do what he did. And like, I think we've, like, well, I'm going to think, we're committed to being radical about that. We're committed to like just making uh, this church a place where people that are hungry to be a disciple of Jesus will flourish in him. And, and with those that are wrestling, there's a constant invitation that the train stops at every station. We'd love you to get on board with this train of goodness and glory because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Hallelujah. And, like, and to orientate your life around being with Jesus and becoming like Jesus and doing what Jesus did if he was you is the richest life you could possibly live. It's the life you long to live. You are hardwired to yield your life to Jesus who created you and to follow him down the road that leads to flourishing. I mean, check this out. Be with Jesus. Just get, this, get your head around how good this deal, this is a great deal. Next slide. Did I put it up there? I think I did. Next slide. Okay, Jesus says this around being with him, like abide, remain in him. I've banged this drum a lot, devos, pre-life, go for it. But what is the fruit, what is the fruit of orientating your life, like fighting for the devotional practice? What's the fruit? Jesus says it in John 15. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. As you choose to abide and remain in him, you get to experience the love of God. The triune love of God, you get caught up in that. Like, Every single human soul needs to know that you're loved by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that created you. That's something we forget super quick, but you're loved. Hallelujah. Second thing, I've told you this so that your joy, go back, sorry, joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. As you abide and remain in Him and be with Him, you're filled with joy. Uh, Tyler Stanton said this recently, like when it comes to the Christian walk and discipleship, and joy is how you know it's working. 
What a challenging, that's admonishing, eh? Super admonishing. Like joy is how you know it's working. I'm, I'm just like, Lord, fill me with more of your joy. And I've told you these things so that uh, in me you may have peace. Again, what are the first three fruit of the Holy Spirit? Love, joy, and peace. Like the evidence that God, that you're abiding and remaining in Him is this is your experienced reality more and more and more rather than just a rare fleeting exception of our lives. That more and more your life is marked by love, joy, and peace. How does that happen? You're with Him. You practice the presence of God. You're sitting with Him every day. In the morning, you're sitting with Him. Lunchtime, you're praying the Lord's Prayer. You're, every little moment, you're thanking Him. You're just practicing. Uh, uh, the, the booklet that uh, we, hand, we, we handed out last week, we've got a few copies left. Get them quick. How to Spend a Day with Jesus by John Mark Comer. This helps you learn to live a life where He's at the center and has been with Him. Second thing is, uh, is to become like Him. Um, Man, this, is, uh, this can be challenging, but, uh, but I love that God knew his people in advance and chose them to become like his son. Uh, C.S. Lewis said this, again, ready for some admonishment. Yay, I'm so glad I came to church today, get my butt kicked. This is awesome. Listen to this in mere Christianity. Every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses into something a little different than what it was before. And taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature, either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven. That is, it is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness and horror and idiocy and rage and impotence and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to the one state or the other. The choices you make have consequences. All these little choices start forming you. Listen, friends, discipleship is not a Jesus thing. It's a human thing. The question is, who are you discipled to? Formation is not a Christian thing. It's a human thing. The question is, who are you getting formed into? We know this is true. You get old enough, you see the trajectory in your own life, and you see the trajectory of those people that you love that are close that you're close to. Has anyone had the experience of bumping into someone that you haven't seen for 20 years and it strikes you the state they're in? Good or bad? Formation is a human thing. And so uh, the smartest thing you can do is learn the way of Jesus. It leads to life. It leads to flourishing. And lastly, to do what he did. Uh, is to imitate, is like, like, this is insane. You get to, to be part of God's great story of redeeming and restoring and renewing all things. This is incredible. Uh, Stanley Harawas said this, to be a disciple of Jesus, is, it's not enough to know the basic facts of his life. It's not enough to know his story. Rather, to be a disciple of Jesus means that our lives must literally be taken up into the drama of God's redemption of this creation. That is the work of the Spirit as we are made part of God's new time through the life and work of this man, Jesus, of Nazareth. Like, the, the best decision you can make is to just radically live for Jesus. It's so much fun. I, mean, I told the story last week of my mum who's in the hospital who's praying for people. When was the last time you prayed for people when you were in hospital? It's like, I don't, I've never done that, you know? She's like Jimmy Jesus' cousin. Why? Because it's like she just keeps saying yes to Jesus. And when did that begin way back in the day when she said yes to Jesus? When did that, how did that trajectory continue when they said yes to Jesus to move into South America to plant a church among the poor? I mean, what are, and, and you talk to my parents, it's like it's the rich, they've modeled to me the riches of following Jesus. 
and doing what he did and just consistently being obedient to him. It's just so inspiring. Now, many people in this room that just keep saying yes to Jesus and keep doing remarkable things in his name, serving the poor, going to the margins and just bringing the good news of the gospel, releasing the prophetic, uh, sharing the gospel, anything that's pushing back those forces of darkness empowered by the Holy Spirit, we're just seeing his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to play. Tomorrow, like the, the thing that, needs, that you know, God wants to do and he does as we spend time in his presence is we just start seeing the world differently. And we start looking around. Like we, we pray before you guys come to church every single Sunday morning for years. We've prayed this prayer before you guys walk in the room for the team that have set up and everything. We, we pray this. Lord, give us eyes to see people the way that you do and a heart that feels what you feel. Now, as you go to work tomorrow, that'll be a good prayer to pray. Lord, give me eyes to see people the way that you do in a heart that feels what you feel. And then the, the, the fun starts. How can I encourage that lonely person and get alongside them? That's what Jesus would do. What, there could be some prophetic word for those that have got, you know, everyone can hear the voice of God, so everyone can give words of encouragement that come from the heart of God. So what does it look like to be bold and say, mate, I know this sounds weird, but I just wonder whether blah, 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 blah. Be naturally supernatural, as John Wimble would say. All those things. Like, it is so much fun when you're all in. And, and the Bible says that we're all a body with different... So you can't do the full ministry of Jesus, but there is a certain grace on your life, and together we are the body of Christ, with all of its different parts functioning together. And so there is a grace on your life. Don't compare your wiring with mine or anyone else's. Some people are called to preach and to be pastors... 99% of people aren't, but there's a grace on you to be part of the body of Christ here in the bay that sees you do what he would do if he was you. There's a wiring, there's a, it's such a fun life. And the more that you just give yourself to it, and, and you know, you know he, God has a love language. It's very clear. It says this, if you love me, you'll obey me. So like obedience is God's love language. So how do you have more fun doing what he did as every year goes past? You just are obedient in those little prompts to express his love, to express his hope, to bring his peace, to give that prophetic word, to give that meal to someone, to pay for the groceries, whatever it may be. It's such an adventurous, fun-filled life. And other times you've got to like, you know, you move your whole lives from another country, in my parents' case, or another region. And that. Sometimes it's crazy. But a lot of times, most times, these little yeses little yeses to God. It's such a joy. What a rich life. So all of these things that we, we're going to, in the next couple of weeks especially, lean in to some, some quite um, you know, practical things that we want to invite our church to be doing if they're serious about their discipleship to Jesus. And just be grateful you're not living in the year 200 in Northern Africa, okay? Because the apostolic tradition I'm, a, I'm into getting it back, but, um, but we'll just maybe take that journey slowly and uh, <laughs> go from there. But, but Sunday services and a rule of life, we're going to talk about that next week, and, and getting into the scriptures on the daily and, and being part of huddles and upper clicks and home churches and, and learning to practice Sabbath and, and all of these things, fasting, all these things, like they're actually just there to help us be a disciple of Jesus. They're, there, they're means of grace. I don't do this to be, to, to like be a better Christian. I can't be more loved by God. I, don't do, I do this because I want to position myself to receive his love on the daily. I do these things because I want to imitate the way of Jesus that leads to life. It's all grace. Hallelujah. 
It's all grace. They're all means of grace. So there's just an invitation as we start this year afresh to say, I want to put you, Jesus, at the center of my life. I don't want you to be a hobby. I'm tired of being a Christian. I want to be a disciple. I want to be di- and, and, and sometimes this is the gift, the gift of frustration. Like a lot of the time in my Christian life, and there's a little bit of this over some, if I'm really honest, there's like, I'm tired of feeling like this. Exhausted, stressed, no margin, very little joy, over blah, 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 all the things, right? The gift of frustration is actually that it's an invitation to, to align your lives a lot more closely to how Jesus lived and invites us to live. So it's a gift of frustration. So some of us, uh, as we begin the year, it's like, oh man, I'm tired. I want to live like in your bones, like deep within you, you know that it's, it could feel better than this, deep in your soul. And Jesus is like, how am I? Come follow me. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Learn what it looks like to, to walk into this life more and more and more. And so uh, I've been like, like this burden of like, how can we build a discipleship culture in my church is a, is a healthy burden for me. Like, it's like a groan. And Paul's like, Paul, I get it, man. He's like, I'm in the pains of childbirth until I see Christ formed in you. Now, now, putting aside the metaphor, which was a dumb move on Paul's part, because how dare you, mate? You know, it's like, well, you know, if you women here want to give a bit of a slap, for how dare you use that metaphor? It's like, but, but he's trying to push our thinking in terms of like, man, actually, for some of our mature Christians, how's the groan? Like, are you just aching to see people formed in the way of Jesus? Like, is it, it should be. It should be. And, like I, like, I just carry for Bay Vineyard this, like, for you guys, honestly, like, my prayer life is just like, Lord, do something in our church. Because the thing is, I can't make you do it. I can only lead by example. So I just stand before you today on behalf of the Lord God Almighty, on behalf of Jesus, saying, will you follow him more intentionally this year? Will you just kick apathy's butt? Will you just deal with the cynicism? Will you deal with whatever it is that's hindering you from living wholeheartedly for him? Will you deal with the compromise? Will you deal with whatever it is? Unforgiveness. I'm not sure what the, but, but, but deal with it so that you can be wholehearted for him this year. And uh, I've just come to this place of peace where we can only just set up a culture that's an invitational culture. Come, join us as we follow him. Um, and I've had to make peace with the fact that I'm going to be discouraged as a pastor as I watch people drift away from Jesus. I've just seen it year after year after year. And this, the formation of our culture is so strong. I just have to deal with the fact that that's going to be the case. But, but over COVID, when I was feeling very, very vulnerable about the state of our church, globally and in Bay Vineyard, fresh church plant, two years in, and all of a sudden we're just not meeting together, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I just felt like God reassured me and say, it's not your job to lead the church. Hallelujah, he's in charge. <sighs> Secondly, your job's to work with the hungry. So I was like, I'm going to always be inviting, but here's the reality. The kingdom of God is going to advance here in the bay with the hungry. It always has, always will. And so I'm going to part, like I'm just going to work with those that are hungry. I'm going to invite everyone. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to pass to everyone. But we're going to see the kingdom of God advance with the hungry when our lifestyles are radically different than the roofer next to us. 
or the fishmonger or whatever it may be, right? When people start going, whoa, I'm starting to see your good deeds and I want to glorify your Father in heaven. There's something going on here. And they get curious about what, what this new life is all about. And as Ryan pointed out, again, we didn't plan this, it's like treasure in a field. Like I'm, not, I'm like, it's, it's weird to me that I'm trying to convince you to get the treasure. Jesus had to do this. He's like, guys, it's like treasure in a friggin' field. It's like pearls of great price. Like this is, so like, it's a smart move to get fully frothed on this and to give yourself to it passionately. Like this is, well, but up to you. If you don't want the pearls, so sweet, you know? People walked away from Jesus. People walked away from Avenue. People, it's just fine. But I'm telling you, man, oh man, it's treasure. It's a pearl of great price. Oh, I feel good about this year. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a good year. And just personally, I'm like, man, I just love that this year is just another journey with Jesus to go a lot deeper with him. You know, I never ever in a million years thought I would have fasting as a regular practice in my life because um, I like feasting. And, uh, and already, I'm, you know, I'm like, during the school terms, you know, there's that kind of rhythm of fasting that I want to have in my life. And I'm a bit gutted that the school term's about to start. <laughs> Happy because the children are going to be at school, but I'm like, oh, no. But I was like, but then the other day I was like, man, I never in a million years would have thought that that would have been a regular part of my... But I'm like, wow, I wonder where he wants to take me deeper this year. I wonder what sort of practices he wants me to sink deeper into because that's on the other side of some of these... It's just life. It's his life. And, you know, like... Um, as, and I just finished with this. You know, in the days of Elijah... Way back in the day, it says like the word of the Lord was rare in that time. So like the nation of Israel had, had capitulated and, and bowed down to Baal and to all these other idols. Now listen, it's a time of drought, horrible time. We live in a very similar cultural moment where it's like it's very easy for us to bow down to the priorities and agenda of our society. Um, but what does it look like? to see the God of Elijah pour out his power again in this day. And so like, this has been our prayer meeting, all this stuff, Lord. We, but Leonard Ravenhill, a fascinating guy, said the, the question isn't where is the God of Elijah. The question, the better question to ask is where, the, where are the, the Elijahs of God? So where are the people wholeheartedly committed to God in a time of cultural drought when it comes to faith? Where are those like utterly, utterly committed to the way of uh, a God. In a highly secular culture, the people who have set themselves apart for God, consecrating themselves to live lives that are radically different. We're, like, I just felt like this God's heart, like where are my people, where are my disciples devoted to me? And, uh, and next, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to look in, in some clarity, you know, some quite detail. Like, this is actually what, if you, if you put these things in place in your life, Church history says that they will produce the fruit of discipleship in your life. These aren't just, these are tried and tested means to help you be serious about it. So come the next two Sundays and then decide whether you want to follow Jesus or not. Up to you, okay? Next two Sundays. Um, I finish, I finish, finish with this. I know I promised I was finishing, but I'm going to land the plane with this. I just, this is incredible. Uh, in Titus chapter 2, I finish with this. <laughs> Uh, it says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this present age. 
Like this is, this is, it's, some of us, I think, and I know this is the case for me, it's like, I want to follow you, Jesus, but I actually need your grace to help teach me. So like, I've tried the willpower thing. I've tried that, you know, I'm going to do Tony Robbins stuff and really, you know, live my best life and all this stuff, and I'm just a Muppet, you know? So like, I'm really good at stuffing all that stuff up. But when the grace of God just imparts something on your life, it helps teaches you. It teaches you. The grace of God teaches you. So some of you uh, this year, I just, like, of those three things, to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did, where is the area that you need grace? Like, you need an, an empowerment of the Holy Spirit to help live one of those three dimensions as this year. You're going to lean in to one of those. Where's the, if it's a tripod, where's the, where's the short leg that you need to put some attention to because it's all a bit wonky, you know? Like, what are, and, and the beauty is that he graces us for it. Isn't that amazing? Isn't he good? Isn't that incredible that you don't have to just grit your teeth, but you, in utter humility and a little bit of desperation doesn't go astray, can just say, God, I want to be more like you. Give me the grace to say yes to you. Give me the grace to, to, to say no to those ungodly things and the worldly passions and all those sorts of stuff. Give me, it's a grace. It's his grace that teaches us how to live those holy lives. Isn't that amazing? And so uh, this morning, I just want to finish by inviting God to come and, uh, and to give us grace where we need it so that we can keep choosing him. And so that uh, we wouldn't just be Christians, but we'd be disciples and that, that God by his spirit would just be like speaking to us quite clearly about pragmatically what that looks like. So that we don't just think it, but we live it. That our lives look different. And that we could continue the great apostolic tradition of being people that live radically different lives because we are part of the community that follows the way of Jesus. Amen? Let's stand together and pray.